1: Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is the pastor of the Hagley Park and Oak Glade Seventh-day Adventist churches, Pastor Omar Zidi Oliphant. Welcome to Upward Way.
0: Thank you so very much, Marlon, for having me here. Happy to be a part of this podcast and to be joining you from Tokyo, <laughs> right here in Jamaica.
1: That's right. And it's really my joy, my esteemed joy and pleasure to have you. And I must also say thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come to share your story. For starters, I just want you to walk us through a little background as to how it is that you first came to being a Christian.
0: Well, first and foremost, um, thanks so very much for the privilege to be here with you. I grew up in an Adventist home, I have Adventist parentage. I'm a third gen Seventh day Adventist. I'm a very very happy and proud third-gen Seventh-day Adventists. I believe it's, it's a healthy thing. Uh, it's not just a spiritual experience, but it's also a community. It's a family. It's a way of life. And um, I got exposed to this very early. Coincidentally, uh, the Pathfinder Club was, I think, very instrumental, along with home worship and uh, my parents instilling in me Christian values in helping to chart my early sojourn in the Christian world and throughout the years I've been able to to grow to see myself grow and to impact other generations I was born into this and then I grew into acknowledging by way of study personal study in-depth study the word of God and the value of the three angels message in this current moment of earth's history
1: Okay, third generation. You did mention, in addition to the home setting, the Pathfinder movement. And I know there are listeners who may know what this movement is all about. But could you just share a little, what is this Pathfinder movement? It is the greatest
0: youth movement anywhere in the world. Uh, for those of you who are maybe not Adventists, not exposed to Pathfinder and our Master Guide Adventurer Clubs, it's actually something like what we would call a cadet a mini military kind of thing where they actually teach you a lot of life skills you you do campaign you do outdoors you do a lot of things relating to the stars You, you understand constellations you are engaged in not just understanding church history but world history and so you learn a lot of skills and then you have a sash that you actually wear and on it you can actually have when you're when you've completed the requirements for certain aspects of a skill, a life skill, you get that and you can be able to put it on your sash. Little uh, circle of things and you can put it on and decorate yourself to say that yes. And you have different classes that you can be a part of by virtue of your age and by virtue of your learning um, ability. So you come up through the ranks and
1: uh, you move up from one class to the other. Okay, brilliant. So you say it's one of the largest uh, youth movement. Uh, Pastor Oliphant did say a sash. You would have your your, your decoration, you know, on your chest. So these little things he talks about, these are badges, honor badges. So as you progress from one stage to the next, you you are given an honor to say, okay, I have advanced. And you did mention the master guide aspect. So is there a difference between Pathfinder Master Guide?
0: Yeah, man, there's a difference. As a matter of fact, for the earlier stage, you have adventurers and then you have the Pathfinders and then you have the Master Guides.
1: It's basically
0: age-appropriate content that is given to each level so at adventurous stage you're really learning some smaller little things uh you're getting into the, the pathfinder in the content is a little heavier and then master guide is where you are a master where you've actually reached the top rank it's a very interesting um, thing it has played such a great role in my life and development to learn not just about discipline and order but you also learn about teamwork and about how to interact and interface with individuals of different cultures. Because one of the things about pathfindering is that you actually get to go to camperies all across the world. There's one big one that almost everybody in the United States goes to, it's called Oshkosh, uh, where people come together, it's just a big celebration of young people, various skill sets, and it's great. Exciting. And that helped to groom me, that helped to fashion me, that helped to ground me as a Christian. And then in my home church, there were, individuals uh, who supported youth in ministry. And so at my home church, I was involved in youth ministry from very, very early. I don't even remember the age. So much so that I was ordained as an elder in my local church in Newport when I was 17 years old. 17. I was ordained by Pastor Clifton Knight. And I'm then pastor. That was after years of serving in youth ministries And so my home church helped to groom, helped to harness, helped to hone my skills and to throw us sometimes out into the water and to learn to stand up and learn how to speak and read the scriptures. My home church is actually the home church of Dr. Herbert John Thompson, the former president of Northern Caribbean University. We have a kind of ilk there that we try to protect when it comes down to our youth.
1: Quite a mouthful. And so I'm going to get back to your own spiritual development. You know, I haven't really asked the question officially, but, you know, people invest so much time in um, developing their careers. They pursue their own life ambitions. And oftentimes that spiritual dimension becomes neglected or it's like a second thought. So how do you actively pursue your own spiritual growth? You could just add to what you've already shared, you know, as to how you pursue your own spiritual growth.
0: Marlad, I would say that there are three fundamentals that are necessary for spiritual growth. I'm speaking from my personal experience. The first is to ensure that the home environment facilitates it. Home environment is very important. Um, And so having parents who pray, having parents who worship, having parents who teach you and who lead you to question and to probe, if that starts early, you'll find out that later on, you'll be able to address some of the hardest questions of life because your periods have facilitated a mind that is based on inquiry. Um, the second aspect is modeling. And modeling is very important because people do more what they see than what is said. Yeah, it's more caught than it is taught. And so it's very important for us to understand that my spiritual growth didn't just happen in a vacuum. It happened because there was a community of faith there was an environment that supported spiritual nurture. There were individuals around me who supported that. But there comes a time in each of our lives where we must individually gain a connection with God. And one of the texts that have ground me all across my, my life has been found in the first chapter of Mark. A powerful um, message that the scripture gives in chapter 1, verse 35 it says that and rising up a great while before morning the scriptures say that before day he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed around third form or fourth form i started to feel a deep need inside to connect with god on a deeper level and i remember that i said all right i'm gonna start by reading the book alone with god and that book kind of challenged me yeah yeah it challenged me to set aside time for god set aside time for god and i said all right i'm gonna try this out you know and i'm I'm gonna gonna get up early in the morning yeah i'm gonna see if i can take up the bible and i said i I distinctly remember i said let's do this for 15 minutes bro let's do this let's do this for 15 minutes and i can tell you Marlon, i fell asleep i fell back asleep in the morning was so cold because you know it's manchester Mandeville. that's where my parents home is Whole in the morning and I fell back asleep, man. But I said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it again. And I started to to read the scripture for myself. And I started to go deeper into the word um, with God. That was about third form, fourth form. And I kept on doing this and I found that it was invigorating me. At first I was falling off asleep. And then after a while, I got my 15 minutes in and I got my 20 minutes in and I got my 30 minutes in. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this thing is cool, man. This thing is really clicking. Rising up, there's no distraction. There are no voices there to interfere with that connection with God. And so I would immerse myself into the word. I would just wet myself. Sometimes I would wake up about two o'clock and three o'clock and I wouldn't be finished with worship until six o'clock. I'm just there. And, you know. And that's how I, along with the environment and the spiritual nurture and the community that was afforded to me. And I know that not everybody has that privilege and we can talk about how that can, or you can do things to, to supplement that, but that's my story. And so I was able to go deeper with God and to understand the Bible more and to get deeper into the word and to, to just foster my own spiritual connection with God. And that was very rich. And that supplemented my morning family devotions, because in our home, we had family devotions in the morning. And. Friday evening, everybody knows that we're going to have Sabbath worship. So that enriched it. And those are things that I think are very important. Many times we have the conversation, Marlon, and we speak about it from a personal perspective. We speak about it from an individual. But it takes a community. We need a community of faith. The home environment, um, the modeling, which is critical. And then number three, the spiritual, personal, spiritual contact, which was, you know, when I finally decided, because I knew from I was a child that I was going to be a minister of the gospel. But I was running from it because when I went to high school and I started to tell individuals that I was going to become a pastor, pastor, it never sounded exciting. People felt that um, being a doctor was more, you know, whatever. Then I said, all right, let's go and do law first because I was interested in law. Let's go and do law first. And when I'm about 40 or 50, I can leave that as a big mature man and come and join the ranks of the church and become a minister of the gospel. And it was in fourth form, between fourth and fifth form, that I finally decided that I wasn't going to do what the world wanted me to do, that I was going to do what God calls me to do. And I decided I was going to go into ministry. I told my mom in fifth form at the end of it that, listen, I want to take a year off to go read the Bible and study. My mother wasn't going to have any of that. Anybody knows my mother. She's a firm educator. She has been a lecturer for years and she was not going to have any of it. So I ended up going to Manchester High. I enrolled in NCU for mass communication, left, went to Manchester High to do sixth form. And then right there, while doing sixth form, my Jonah moment came and I and I gave up running from Nineveh and coming into ministry.
1: I'm happy you, you put a pause because I always was anxious to inject not some vaccine, but of course, you know, the question... How would God communicate you know, that message to you? Because I'm sure persons listening may say, but how it is that you knew because you said you were just in 4 form, maybe 14, 15, maybe even before that. I've come to
0: find, Marla, that God's communication is not always this blast. It comes to a consistent, silent voice many times speaking and making an impression on your heart. And I knew not from fourth form or third form, I knew from I was a child that I was going to be a minister of the gospel. But as I said, I was putting it on the back burner because it didn't look like something that was very attractive at all. But I committed to it at fourth form, between fourth and fifth form. And I decided that 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 was definitely what I was going to do. But over time, over the tenure of my life, whether it was listening to a sermon or it was in family time or it was in my personal devotion time, There was always a distinct, clear, peaceful, calm impression that was being made upon me, irrespective of what I was doing. That, listen to me, Omar, your place is in ministry. I was drawn towards spiritual things. I used to go to crusades and sit down and make notes. Um, Legit, legit. I wrote my, I had my sermon notes. I would be able to tell you what the message was about. And, I found myself drawn towards that. And it's not something that I can um, tell you that my experience was like Saul on the Damascus road. Um, That's not mine. Lord never come by no flash of vision. I wasn't blinded on the road. But even before the Lord spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus, one must recall that the Lord was making impression on his heart. And that is why, when he got that final moment his cry to saul was how long shall you kick against the pricks because he was rejecting the call of god in his heart so if you're out there listening and you're you're looking for god to show up in your life in a big way i'm not saying that god is not going to do that but i'm here to say that many times he speaks in a silent quiet calm soothing way that leaves an impression that cannot be shaken Irrespective of what you desire, irrespective of what you think.
1: Wonderful. And you know, that is something that I, I just want to re-echo. We don't have to look for that big blast, you know, because God has so many different ways in which he communicates. But the takeaway for me is when you mentioned that consistent. So when he speaks to you, it's consistent. And it's similar with training. You know, we tend sometimes, especially for adults when they deal with children, to think that it's a one-time Says it all, but you have to be repetitive if you want the best results. And that is exactly how God speaks to us. In terms of you know, challenges that one would face in life, you know, especially as a minister, as a young person, because you said you were ordained at 17, age 17, as an elder, what would have been maybe one of the greatest challenge you faced in your life, and also what would have been your strategy for overcoming such
0: listen. Yes, We could sit here all day and talk.
1: Ministry
0: ministry is complex. And one of the greatest things that I have a burden for is how to translate the eternal truths and the eternal message of God in a way that is attractive and meaningful to the current generation. The challenge that the church faces is not whether or not it holds the truth, but whether or not it can be able to package the truth in a way that is both faithful to scripture, but also attractive to the modern mind. And I've found that over 15 years of ministry, this is my 15th year as a minister within the Adventist Church, I've found that it is hard to sometimes effect that change when there are so many competing interests and different viewpoints and generational um, barriers which sometimes inhibits the work advancing as quickly, as effectively, and as efficiently as it possibly can. During my tenure as Youth ministers Director in one of our conferences here in Jamaica Union, I was deeply burdened for young professionals because I felt that we had a ministry for children, which we do. We had a ministry for youth, which we do. We have a ministry for women, which we do have. We have ministry for men, but we didn't have anything for young professionals. So many individuals were going to colleges and universities with questions in their mind, legitimate questions, questions about God, questions about our doctrinal beliefs, questions about faith, about spirituality. And we were not able to give them a place or a voice. And because of that, many of them during the college years turned away from the faith of their fathers, walked away from the Advent message. And many are not committed, even if they're within the church, with the same level or greater level of energy and focus that is needed to propel the work forward in this current time. And I felt that that was something that was missing. So one of the things I did when I became pastor at the Hagley Park District was that I pulled together my young professionals and I said, come on, we're going to do this. Many young people are working in environments today that are secular environments, but the secular environments is challenging their Christian faith. Many of them are facing challenges in secular societies, in secular homes, which they may be the only Adventists in there and they feel lost. How do we help them? How do we help this current generation that is the TikTok generation, the generation of podcasts, the generation of YouTube, the generation of TEDx, the generation that is changing the very fiber of communication and technology? the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation. I believe that this is the greatest challenge the church faces today. And to do so in a way that is faithful and that is consistent with our message. I'm not advocating for there to be a breach in our ethical order. I'm not advocating for there to be some kind of disconnect in terms of what we preach and what we put out and how we put out. What I'm saying is, the world has changed significantly since I was a child. In my day, when I was going to school, we had something by the name of dialogue with the internet. We had to plug it in and you put in your password and, and you sign up and you wait. We don't do that anymore. It's Wi-Fi. Some people don't even know what I'm talking about. In my days, we had something by the name of high five as a social media communication channel on the internet. Today, we don't have that. Today, we have. Facebook. today we have instagram today we have so many other different but how has the church kept up in a viable in a sustainable in a creative and an attractive way that is faithful to the message with these kind of changes that are happening and i think that is one of the greatest challenges that the church actually faces the other aspect of the the challenge that i think is great within ministry and great in terms of spiritual care and spiritual life is that of human relations How do we relate to individuals who disagree with us? How do we relate to individuals who don't believe what we believe? How do we relate to individuals who immediately don't embrace the kind of doctrine or philosophy or worldview that we hold to as Seventh day Adventists or as Christians or whatever you want to say? I'm saying how we deal with that is going to be the great measure, the great test of our our Christianity. By the way, Jesus did say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the world today is very pluralistic. There are so many different schools of thought, religion, no faith. In fact, I have a book that I have been reading. Well, a number of books, there's one of them called The Rise of the Nuns, and then you have Unchristian. And the both of them actually put in perspective the fact that there are more persons in the world today who say that they are not Christian than individuals who say that they are Christian. More people are moving away from traditional Christianity to now going to say, I don't need to be a part of a body. All I need is to have spirituality. There's a big separation now between religion and spirituality. And I think those are challenges that we have to sit and think about, because to reach the generation that currently is is going to require much more than what we used to do.
1: Amen. And you have hit a very potent point, because what you are saying it's what I've heard so many you know young persons saying. Sometimes you know I am a part of a church, but I don't feel as if sometimes I am a part. And as you have sought to harness the professionals, you know that is what we ought to do. And I can't quote verbatim, um, the quotation from one of Sister White's book, LNG White's, but the quotation said to say, you know, what an army of youth we have if rightly harvested, then we can conquer the world. So I would encourage you to continue along that path. Also, though it's not my, you know, I'm not the <laughs> guest, I'll also challenge, you know, Christian young people to think about how they can use their gifts and talents to serve the Lord. We can approach our ministers, you know, our leaders, to say, "I think I have something to offer the faith."
0: That quotation that you you, you drew for me is such a powerful one. As a youth ministries director, former youth ministries director, I, I had it in the back of my mind. It says, "With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world." and You know, that was written years ago, messages to young people also in education. But the reality is, it is a message for the time. If we rightly train our young people, if we give them the opportunity, if we give them the space and the voice, much more can be accomplished than what we are accomplishing today.
1: That is so true. Let me ask this question. You know, sometimes when God gives us an assignment, it's not easy You know, to carry out. So I'm asking you this, has God ever given you an assignment that you're saying, God, this one, (laughs) this is too much for me. Please take this away. What has been your experience with something like that?
0: Yeah, I get that all the time. One thing I've learned to do over time is to be obedient to the voice of God, irrespective of the voice of man. And sometimes that puts you into a stickle place because you see the Lord give you a vision and you know it's from the Lord. And sometimes in the outplay of that vision, you, you meet up with hurdles, you meet up with uh, individuals who may not accede to that kind of perspective at a particular time. And I think it's so very important, um, much more than seeing the hurdle, is learning how to negotiate with people. You have to develop skill sets. One of the things I must say that individuals must do as a leader, you must be able to learn to read the room. because. If you notice in Exodus, when the Lord called Moses, before the Lord sent Moses to deliver Israel, he sent Moses first to the leaders of Israel. And uh, Moses, after a while, felt like, God, this thing ain't working out. You know, it it ain't working out. This thing ain't for me. And the Lord had to come back to Moses and say, listen, you're the one. We're going to take this. We're going to go forward. Sometimes. The hurdle is because people are not always open to change. And people will trust you when they have a confidence in you over time that God is using you. And so how do you overcome that? A leader must be competent. A leader must be trustworthy. But a leader must also have skill sets. You must know how to negotiate, learn how to read the room learn how to understand what is being said, but more so what is not being said and being able to put all of those things together in light of what God has actually said to you. Learning how to listen to the opposite voice, the critique, learning how to take the criticism and make all of that blend to work towards the benefit. So I've met on a lot of challenges. Some of them I can't even say here on air, Holy heap of challenges, but I've found, that being your authentic self and listening to the clear voice of God and having skill sets, people being able to trust you, people being able to say, all right, you know, pastor, uh, we were around the last time when we challenged you on this, but now we uh, we're going to allow you to push this through and we're going to give you the support. And I find that when you take that kind of approach, when you take a collaborative and integrative approach. An approach that does not silence the opposite voices, but allow the opposite voices to sit at the table to help to make the decision better, that helps to overcome the challenges.
1: Amen. Developing professionalism, working yes. together. You know, these are some communication units <laughs> that in some institutions, you know, they have courses for those names. And so if we learn to collaborate, it makes things so much easier. Now, I'm going to touch on your, your life itself, you know, and the all idea of balancing things. So when I think about what you do, you know, you wear many hats and I'm looking at the top of your head and I don't see that your neck is shrinking. <laughs> despite your many hats. But, you know, you, you are pasture. Let
0: me wipe it off so you don't see it too too shy.
1: <laughs> yes. You're a pastor, you know, you have your family, you have your wife, you have your children. You also work in media. You are a TV host. You know, you're a lawyer as well. you flee lead a church administrator. So how do you, you know, find the balance in your own life so that you don't become burnt out? Because I'm listening to you and I don't get a sense, but your energy is dipping. You know, you're just full of energy. Uh,
0: listen, there's a, there's a key word to that prioritize 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 it's very important because as you said i I do live a very busy life but i enjoy it i totally enjoy it i love what i do it's great to see lives changed and I, i not only serve within the church i also serve as a justice of the peace as a board chairman for the government of jamaica it's a joy to give back it's a joy to to see that you're helping in nation building. But prioritization is very key. And I've found that, how do you say this? I've found that the greatest asset that one can waste is time. Loss of money is, is bad, but it's, it's not the worst. Um, loss of talent is bad, but it's not the worst. Loss of time. One must be able to have sound time management. It is something you have to develop over time. It doesn't come always easy, but you have to develop. You have to prioritize. And I go back to Mark chapter one, verse 35, because I I want to say this, that my devotions with God do not just help me spiritually, but it helps me psychologically and emotionally for my day ahead. It is in my worship with God that I learn how to prioritize how my day is going to go. Many times in worship, God already shows me what is going to happen for the day. He shows me and he tells me, all right, Omar, order it this way. Put this, that, that there. And even in worship, sometime while I'm there deep in study, the Lord impresses upon me what my to-do list ought to be. And so worship for me is not just something that is quote unquote spiritual. And then when I come out of the spiritual realm, it has no impact on the practical life. No, it prepares me for the practical life. And so over the years, I've had to learn to prioritize. I've had to learn to study effectively because I've learned that you can be sitting on the computer or in a book reading, reading all day and you don't get a thing. You don't understand anything at all. Studying effectively. I've learned that you learn the art of delegating wisely. I've learned that you integrate individuals, you collaborate in your own way. You prioritize the things that are most important and they come first and the others come. So it's true. I, I live a busy life. My, my friends are sometimes very worried about me, but um, I enjoy it. And they know that.
1: Amen. And, and, you know, you mentioned the whole idea of prioritizing. And there's something you touch on to say you could spend the entire day, you know, before the computer or in a book and you haven't gotten anything. For me, I would say you are busy wasting time. It's important. Yes. And the third thing that I really want to re-echo is the idea of worship because there are individuals who still struggle with the idea of worship. You know, it's spending time, as, as the Bible says, Come, let us reason together. That's Isaiah 1, verse 18. So when we are with God, then he outlines to us what is to come. And because he does that, then we can trust whatever he says to us. Personally, I can, you know, I can relate to that just as well. So I just have to re-echo all of what you have just said. Uh, in terms of trusting, there are many individuals who find it difficult and they struggle so much so to the point where they end up leaving, walking away from the faith. So the question I'm asking is, you know, why from your experience, do you think different individuals find it difficult to trust God's plans for their lives?
0: Well, in Matthew, Jesus tells us about the the sower who went forth to sow a seed. The thing about it, Marlon, is that is only one fourth, only one fourth of them that are um, productive, one fourth. Um, in John, we see the story where individuals turned and walked away from God um, after they followed him for fish and bread. And when they asked him, you know, where do you lay? And Jesus say, uh, you know, the son of man has nowhere to hit his head. And these guys say, so you want us to follow you for that? Uh-uh, uh-uh. And the scriptures say a very painful truth that from that day they did not follow him. People follow Jesus for different reasons. People come to church for different reasons. The role of the sower is to sow the seed across all the soils. All the soils. The sower's role is to give everybody a fair shot, a fair chance, an equal opportunity. And that is why Matthew four twenty four and verse 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness. Because... We are not going to get returns on all of this preaching that we're doing. All of this podcast you're doing, you're not going to get returns, all the returns on it. Maybe it's only one, one-fourth out of those who listen. That's the reality. So people follow Jesus for different reasons. But Matthew 6 and verse 6 gives us a secret. Matthew 6 verse 6 tells us, if you want public success, you must have private connection. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. In today's day and age, when everybody is for fashion and for show and for likes and everything, you have to be grounded in what really matters. Where matters for you. How do you want to go? Why are you following Jesus? I'm saying you don't need to worry about the end result. You just need to follow the process that christ has stated and in matthew 6 he gives us that process and jesus says very clearly that public success is based upon private connection and so the more time you spend in private with god is the greater your success otherwise is going to be both spiritually professionally and otherwise
1: wonderful i have to say this quote if you want public success you must have private connection What do you think would surprise most persons about you, Omar? Ah,
0: (laughs) surprise, 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 surprise. I don't think a lot of people know that I can be teary-eyed very very easily. I remember when I just started working, one day I got a call from my mom that she had to go and do a heart test. Believe you me, immediately I broke down, man. It was was just to do a heart test, nothing else. And uh, immediately I broke down, I, I can be teary eyed. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't know that I love music and that I can play the piano. I used to could play the guitar. I can't play it anymore.
1: Okay, wonderful. Surprise, surprise. So now everyone knows. If you could give God thanks for... Well, most
0: people don't know that I'm shy. <laughs>
1: I would say used to, used to be, (laughs) but yes, if you could give God thanks for one person that you have met in your life, apart from your parents, you know, one person you have met in your life, who that person be and why I'm putting you on on the spot just to give one person, but maybe knowing you, I'm no, I know you are going to give more than one. So who are some persons? Okay. let, Let me make it easier. If you could give God thanks for a few individuals you have met along your journey, who would those individuals be? And then why?
0: There have been so many individuals who have been a part of my journey and, uh, I'm grateful for each of them. I think without a doubt, uh, the greatest influencers on my life have been my parents. Um, I lift my hats off to them every day. I don't know how they did it, but they they were able to translate um, and prepare us for the future even before we understood that they were doing that. There are other individuals. In every era of my life, there is someone that um, really resonates with me. But um, if I were to say thanks to God, Mark Finley, Mark Finley. I... I've been blessed by his ministry, tremendously blessed. Um, Mark Finley has embodied what a Christian gentleman, what a consistent evangelist is. And I think the church owes him a debt of gratitude. And I hope to meet him over yonder.
1: Very succinct, very clear. And just to... know to to take the beatings off your back. So Pastor Oliphant says he's giving God thanks for everyone. (laughs) So it's all my fault and not his. And another question um which speaks to you know the many hats you wear. You have alluded to it you know a little earlier, but but what other career apart from being a minister would you consider pursuing?
0: Well, uh, I think at my age and stage of life, I can retire now. <laughs> at my age and stage, and I do want to retire early. By the way, I think that that is important. I believe that you should serve your generation, and I think that you should not hold up seats. I think that you must pass the baton on, train effectively, and pass the baton on. So I'm looking forward to um to retiring early. Um, that being said. Well, the only thing that I think left in my life after this uh, eventful display of God's goodness in me uh, is, is to become a professor. Yeah, I want to teach the next generation, pass on some of the wisdom. I mean, I am a pastor. I love being a pastor. And um, I am an attorney at law, the first Seventh-day Adventist minister here in the English-speaking Caribbean to be called to the bar. But I, I, I like teaching, I like training, I like investing in the future. And I like investing in young people, in young professionals. And I think one of the best ways to pass on years of experience and years of learning is to be a professor. So I hope to complete my PhD and to head into a university and just show up and give you all some headache.
1: Yes, wonderful, wonderful. I think um, one of the two final questions that I would want to challenge you on is what would you say would be one of the most difficult things about being a Christian? And on the flip side, what would be one of the easiest things about being a Christian? So it's twofold. What is hard if there's anything about being a Christian? And also, what is easy about being a Christian?
0: The Christian journey will have moments that leave you on a high. And you will have moments that leave you on a low. But the joy of the Lord will be your strength. I think one of the most difficult things about being a Christian is respecting people's fundamental rights and choice not to follow Christ and still have the burden deep in your heart for them. I have seen many mothers weep over a a child or children who have gone astray and they can't do anything about it. And I really think that that is the most difficult part of being a Christian. Um, Character growth sometimes comes through adversity and that some people might say is difficult, but guess what? You can see them again. But when you see people going down the wrong road, And you have to respect their choice and just resort to prayer. I think that that is most difficult, especially when it's from your own loins. The easiest thing is to to step into the water. The journey begins thereafter. In Ellen White's first vision, I have a picture of it right there on my desk. She has a pathway and the pathway gets narrower. As they get closer and closer, people are dropping off and dropping off and dropping off. Um, It takes a lot to stay on the straight and the narrow way. And uh, to start the journey is easy. (laughs) And to continue it, I think, is where the real meat of the matter lies.
1: Pretty clear. And using that analogy of the vision, that makes it so much a stronger point. I must say thanks for taking the time out to share your story with us today. So for my listeners, my guest today has been Pastor Omar ZD Oliphant. He's a pastor of the Hagley Park and Oak Glade Seventh-day Adventist churches. But as his customer, just before we go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners?
0: Well, listeners, I just want to encourage you. In the midst of a world that is plunged into dismay and death and darkness, to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is soon to come. Though they are scoffers, though they are naysayers, each individual living at this time of earth's history can see around, can see day to day that the coming King is at the door. I implore upon us to make our calling and an election sure and to find Jesus in a quiet place of our own home. It could be in your bed, in your bathroom, in a study, wherever it is. Spend time with Jesus, make him your best friend, and prepare to meet him when he returns.
1: You've been in tune to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You can subscribe to weekly episodes on Apple, Spotify, Notes and podcast guru or go to the app store and download the awr app until then i am your host marlon walters saying goodbye may god bless you you've been listening to the upward way podcast the number one audio production
0: show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world